0: This is the fourth sermon on a series of sermons that we're doing on pursuing Jesus. Um, there is a time of year in the Christian calendar that has been traditionally there called Epiphany. Epiphan- I, can't, I can't say it. I only know the Polish way to say it. Epiphania. So I don't know how, if you know how to say that in English. Just go ahead and say it. Epiphany. Epiphany. There we go. Epiphany, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's this time of year where, um, where it's usually very dark, and not here necessarily in Texas. But if you're from where I am, from Boston, a Yankee, then the sun starts going down about 3, 4 o'clock, and then it doesn't come back up until like, you know, the next morning. and So it's really dark. It's a dark time of year. And it's a time of year where, in the Christian church in Europe, they celebrated the revelation, the manifestation, the Incarnation, Of the person and the nature of jesus christ and so we're doing that this time of year we're looking at christ and we're looking at it and we're kind of moving forward and through the book of john looking at what are called the signs of jesus and these signs the signs of jesus were signs that were pointing to the nature and the characteristic of jesus christ i want us to look at one scripture that um wasn't part of the scripture reading in acts in john chapter 20 and I want to read this to you because in the book of John, we're seeing the deity, the, the, the majesty, the beauty of Jesus Christ being revealed in this gospel. Matthew of Mark, uh, the gospel of Mark, is a gospel that reveals the messiahship of Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah for the nation of Israel. The book of Luke is a book that portrays Christ to the Gentiles, that he is human, he's a human being. And in the book of Luke, it's very interesting to notice that the prayer life of Christ, what does Jesus do as a man on earth, and that is he prays The book of Mark is written to the Roman kind of a Roman kind of a Roman mindset, which would be ours mindset today, which is just um, in the book of Mark you see words like suddenly and immediately and he did this and everything is a lot shorter a lot described a lot shorter i think that's the way texas is texans don't like a lot of words they just want to see some action right so the book of mark is kind of like portraying christ in like bang you know like and he did this and then he was over here and suddenly this happened and everybody was astonished so that passionate kind of southern state um culture that i see here in the book of john we see jesus christ being portrayed as deity as the son of god and so that's what we're looking at. And so he, we, looked, <clears throat> we looked at one of his, his first signs, which was changing water to wine. And that was the first sign he did in Cana. And then we talked about a couple other things. And then last week we talked about um, John chapter. Um, we talked about, do you guys remember what we talked about? Anybody? One word? Just say it out. Get some congregational participation here. What did we say last week? What did we talk about? Anyone? The blood, right? The 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 water being changed to wine, and now how that speaks of um, Moses's first miracle in Exodus chapter uh, 10, where he changes the water to blood. Jesus does his first miracle as the final, the the final, and the com- the the uh, completion of all prophets in the old testament and what does he do his first miracle he changes water to wine and what does wine mean for the believer today it means the blood of jesus christ the new covenant as we see in communion that jesus had and so we're looking now at his second sign um, in chapter 4 verses 46 through 54 and we see here that jesus I want to read these verses to you, uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, and it says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, love that, which are not written in this book. But these are written in verse 31, that you may believe. Two things, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? And number two, he's the Son of God, that believing you may have faith in his name those two things that you would that you would know who jesus christ is and that number two that you would have faith in his name and that's really the goal of these sermons that we're having jesus here meets a man and there's a man here there's four things i want to say about um this nobleman's faith but the nobleman is probably um historically a servant or someone that had some authority in the court of herod now, Herod was really a bad guy. He wasn't really loved. He was a politician in Israel that, wasn't, that, he, that was really not loved. And so the nobleman coming in could have actually, in some translations is, is described, he was a royal. But he comes in and, he, see, he first of all, he hears about Christ. He comes to meet Christ with a great need. We see here, we're going to look here in a, for, in a few minutes, at two wrong concepts of faith and that's what I want to talk about this morning is the nature of faith okay the nature of faith and there's two concepts that are not correct with faith number one tape uh, someone may say well I have faith Um, I don't know if I have faith but um, I don't know if I have a temperament that's conducive to be easily believing what people say I personally am not maybe necessarily a naive person Um, I can be very skeptical and I really don't necessarily believe really anything that I hear, everything I hear, and I really need to see some proof. Um, and we may look at some people, you may look at some people in the church and say, oh, that persons they just have such a personality that has so much faith. And, or it seems like, you know, here's the second wrong concept, that they have a talent of faith, you know, okay? That, that like, okay, some people can sing, some people can uh, do the sound back there, they're good with tech. Um, and there's some people that can, you know, can do things that other people cannot do, and some people look at someone that, that they say, well, they have a gift of faith. Well, that's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about here. Saving faith, sa- faith in Jesus Christ that leads us to a place of salvation is not something that some people have more of and other people don't have. I remember there was a kid in my school, very moral kid. My dad wasn't even saved. I couldn't even believe he said this. And I said this to my dad. Uh, he's for sure going to heaven when he dies. And my dad said this. He goes, he goes not, if he's not, not if he hasn't believed on Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. You know, we look at some people and we say, oh, that person's a good person. He's going to heaven for sure. But a lot of times we find that that's not the case. So the nobleman here comes to Christ. He has a son that's dying and that he needed a life-giving life giving Um, miracle he needed something to happen and there's four things here so what i want to say before we get to the fourth thing is that faith is not just for some people faith is really for everyone saving faith is for everyone and it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have and we're going to see that at the end of the message four things about that we see about this nobleman in verse 46 and let's look at this together so jesus came to cana again to cana of galilee where he had made water to wine there was already a reputation and this is the first thing that we want to look at, is that faith, to have faith, to grow in faith, to exercise faith, to even have faith, first of all, we need to get some information. We need to hear a report, and we need to hear about Christ. The word is out. Jesus is coming back to Canaan of Galilee, and the word is out that this man is a miracle worker, that he does things it is so incredible what he does and this nobleman which is he's in Capernaum, and there's about 20 mile walk about that about five hour walk uh, for him five or six hours depending on how fast you walk and he walks that whole distance to meet Jesus he hears that he's there and he walks out there he takes he takes the authority he believes on the authority of the report that this man can make a difference and my son is really sick my son is at the point of dying and this is what the nobleman's thinking I don't know how many of you, uh, I mean, I know many of you here have kids. Can you imagine a father who's at a state of desperation and his son's going to die? Like they've done everything and his life is ebbing away. Like it's just like, and this is the, the way it is in the Greek here. it says, the, the nobleman says later, my dear precious son in the Greek, my dear kid, my, my, my sweet son is dying. And that's how he speaks to Jesus. First of all, he doesn't start with that he starts with a report. he hears maybe firsthand someone says to him, "You know Jesus has come into town." and so what does he do? It begins with hearing a report and faith comes by hearing and that's Romans chapter 10 verse 17. There's a second part of that verse I want to look at in a minute, but it first starts with hearing. I think sometimes there are people in this room that we hear God do miracles for other people, right? You ever been in a place where I wish God would do that for me? <laughs> you ever been there? Like it doesn't seem to like ever happen, you know? And then it happens. The report first happens. There's a the report. And the report, the report begins to build some faith. It begins to build some information. The second thing is verse 47. And he went to him. That's the second step. First, faith comes by hearing. Hearing a report, hearing a testimony. That's why if you go through some hardship, I said this to one family of people as they were coming in, if you go through some very hard things in your life, remember, suffering is not just for you. It's not just, you're not the end purpose of suffering. It's really for other people. I think selfish suffering is I suffer something and it's just for me. No, it's not just for you. It's for someone else that's going to cross your path and you're going to say something to them that just totally sets them free. That's the purpose of suffering. It's for the body's sake. It's for the sake of the body of Christ. It's for your family. We have to go beyond that. He went to him. He went to him. This is important because we have to go beyond just hearing a good report. We can come to church here and just hear some great things. But then there's a point where we go home and we have to take that step towards Christ, towards what we hear. We need to position ourselves to be in a place to connect with the person of Christ. What does that mean? To position ourselves to be in a place to connect with Jesus Christ. That's why church is so important you know that's why gathering together which whether if it's on Wednesday night I I think Wednesday night's just one of the untold secrets one of the greatest kept secrets of our church because we just we're sitting back there with a, with a handful of people and it's just so such a wonderful time of fellowship and prayer and fellowship and interaction and and I just love it when we get together we position ourselves I don't feel like being in the body or I don't feel like I'm you know I don't so I, I draw near anyway I draw near anyway and we come by faith. There's someone here in the, in the church that, has, that says this sometimes. Um, I'm going to come and the anointing's going to heal me. The anointing's going to quicken me. I love that. I love that thinking. Like I don't feel like it right now, but I'm just going to show up and I'm going to get quickened by the body of Christ and the anointing. You have to go beyond just hearing a report and he takes the step. He walks 20 miles, five or six hours, thinking about his son. Wondering if he's going to die before he makes it. You know, we have to make a decision to trust the reports that we haven't experienced ourselves. Um, if we don't go beyond just mental, rational acknowledgement, then what will happen is, is that our faith, our creed, our philosophy of life is not going to make it when it seems like God is not in the picture. When things happen that are so tragic and so difficult to a person, whether whatever it could be, health, money, personal failure, whatever it can be, like if you and I have not gone beyond just hearing the reports in church and saying amen and then drawing near to Christ and taking a step, then when it seems like God is not in our life, when God is not present, then that's going to be the, that's going to be, we're going to check out. And it's sad, because I think sometimes when I see this happen, and this is one of the hardest things for a pastor, is that when you see God begin to do a good work in somebody's life, right? And they're, just, and they're going for a while, and then they just check out. I don't get it. They, and, 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 we, and we quit. And then you just don't see God able to, like, finish the work. And that's really hard, that we would not quit, that we would not, that we would not check out. And so the nobleman walks 20 miles to meet Jesus here, and... And he's in a place where he's making a decision that it may not seem like God is real right now. The third thing is in verse fifty, verse 47, I want to look at this. He implores him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus says to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now that seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> Like, I read this, and you read John, you read John chapter 2, where the mother of Jesus comes to him, right, and says, Jesus, he said, son, we don't have, they ran out of wine. And what does Jesus do? He goes, woman, <laughs> he goes, woman, he's like, it's not my time to die, like, why are you bothering with me this? And it's like, you look at that, like, whoa, Jesus, you know, <laughs> what happened? Are you, you okay? You know, and you sound like you're from Boston or something, the way you're talking, and, and uh, if you're from Boston or if you have any contact with Bostonians, you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of been crucified in my life. So sometimes it comes out when I'm driving. I'm 45, but I rebound. And, and so it's like, woman, like what? <laughs> it's like, woman, what does that have to do with me? Like, why are you, like, you're killing me. And then he says here in John 4, he says, oh, my gosh. Like, here's a man, at the, you know, he's like desperate need. Everybody knows who this guy is. He's, you know, he's part of Herod's court. Jesus, you gotta tone it down a little bit, you know, like he goes, He goes, you people, unless you see signs and wonders, no one's gonna believe, right? And like, and so what happens here? What is why does Jesus talk like that? Why does Jesus speak to him like that? Why is Jesus seemingly offending this man in his dire need? Because Jesus wants that this man goes beyond deeper than the magic. Because this man looked at Jesus as like, like the wizard Gandalf or something, or Magic Max, or, or like a miracle worker. I'll go see the miracle worker. It's like going down to see the psychic down the street in Old Town Spring, just you know, to get a word from supernatural word or something like that. And don't do that. That'll just wreck your life. It'll let demonic things into your life that you don't want there. And he's like, he he has no idea who Jesus is. And he's coming to Jesus, and he's like, oh, you know, do this miracle for me. In the Greek here, it says implored, and I think the King James has it like this. It has um, besought, right? And he's like, you know, he's asking, right? And Jesus says, unless you see signs and miracles, you will not believe. Jesus is pushing back a little bit. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? She's a Gentile. She's from a very bad part historically of Israel. Comes to Jesus with a request, right? daughter is dying, da- daughter's sick, and she comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, I have not come to the dogs, <laughs> you know, I've not come to you dogs. And like to call, like um, Michael was telling me on outreach yesterday, like in South Africa, like you call somebody a dog, that's like the worst you can say to somebody. Like in the Middle East, that's, it's no different. You call somebody a dog, you call a woman a dog, That's like, whoa, you just don't do that. And Jesus does that, why? Because Jesus is shaking us up, he wants to jolt us. He wants to shake us and get our attention. Say, look, it's not about the, it's not what, the need seems huge. And that's not, it's, but it's not that. It's something deeper I want to do in your life. And he's sh- And he sh- shock and awe. And he wants, Jesus wants the nobleman to go deeper, wants him to know who he is. So he challenges him twice. He kind of puts him off. Verse 49, the nobleman says, sir, the tone changes, sir. And in the Greek here, it's Lord. Really, I don't know why the translators don't put Lord there, but it's Lord. It's that Greek word Kyrios that we use for for Lord, Lord. Right? Remember when Paul's on the road to Damascus, he gets knocked off his horse, and he gets up, and he goes, "I get it, Lord. What do you want me to do?" He says, "Lord, something's changed." The shock and the awe of the circumstance, and Jesus's seemingly uncompassionate, offensive response shakes him up, and there's a there's something that breaks. And, Jesus, and, the, and the man turns around and says, Sir, would you please come? Would you come before my child dies? The nobleman said, Sir, my, little dear, my, my dear son, the, the, the tone changes. And verse 50, Jesus says to him, Go thy way, your son lives. And what's the difference here? You know, this is, this is the second put-off. Maybe we don't see this in the English, but what the nobleman is saying, he's asking two things. Come with me, 20 miles, walk with me. I could just use the company. It's very hard for me right now. And number two, do something for my son and heal my son because he's dying. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to walk 20 miles with you. The answer to that is no. But you go. You go. You go your way. And this is, fun. This is amazing what's happening here because the man here is not only pleading that he'd come with him, but he's pleading for comfort. He's pleading to have someone understand where he's at. And that was hard. and and this is very important to see this because what is the, the great scope of what jesus is saying here and we don't see it so clearly but if you look at every prophet in the bible in the old testament every prophet the greatest of the prophets elijah or elisha or moses all of them had to do when they did miracles they had to be what physically present right So Elijah had to put the staff on the boy's face or, or on the man's face. He had to be there physically. Moses had to physically be there when he, when he parted the sea, right? Jesus here has the audacity to say and do something that no other prophet has ever done. He's going to talk like a God. He's going to say something, and it's going to happen. And what does that remind us of? Genesis chapter 1, God spoke, and it was, Right? We are kind of the people, at least I am, like I said, let's go. We're going to go do this. And then we go, let's go, do, let's, let's go plant a church in Texas, right? And then we go and do it. We go and plant. We're working. And, but Jesus says, let there be, and it, there is. And so he says to this man, he says, go your way. Your son lives. And that Greek, that Greek word there is not just biologically, but it's a word that's used to describe life that overcomes death, zoe. It's resurrection life. Because you know what, we can Jesus can do something for for you biologically in your life, but that's not going to be really the answer that you and I need. Jesus is digging deeper, and he says, "Go your way." So what happens? The man, the man. um, This is number four, verse verse fifty. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. That's very powerful. Because this man goes to the next level of faith. The first level is just hearing. Number one, we hear about Christ. We're in a place where, number two, he puts himself in a position where he can meet the person of Christ in his ignorance. That's why it's important to keep coming out, keep, join, keep, keep drawing near the body of Christ, even when things are hard, because there's a process going on in your life. And then number three, Jesus is not going to give him what he needs. He's going to give him something more power. And please get this, this is so important i think sometimes we're like god where are you in my life i need your presence i need to feel you and you know what jesus is like to this guy he's like nope i have something more important i'm going to give you and that is what the logos he believed the word that jesus said the logos and we the first sermon that we had on this series was that in john chapter one jesus is the logos and what and that's so great for us as christians he, living in this day and age where we don't see Jesus because we don't necessarily need to see him. We don't need a physical manifestation to have faith in God. But we just have his word, the Logos. And this is where faith begins, the Logos. Amen, Pat? Right? Amen? Like that's where Logos begins, right? That, that, that's, this is where faith begins when we, Jesus says something and the man's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to walk home another 20 miles. All right, and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. You ever, God, God, ever give you a prom- promise with no physical manifestation, no no physical sign, you know, no signs and wonders, <laughs> you know? And he starts walking back. And do you think when he's walking back, do you think he's thinking, "Yes, Lord, I believe, I believe, I'm walking in my in my victory. I'm claiming this for myself." I'm, and maybe that. I mean, we do that maybe, but he, I don't think he's doing that because he's not really religiously trained. He's walking like, you know, this could be really bad. I could be going back and my son could be dead. There's no cell phones at that time, no emails or text messages. And he's walking and it's a long five hours. He's walking and he's thinking, you know, I made a decision and I'm putting my son's life on the line here. And I'm going my I'm going my way. And this is the this is the third thing. this is the fourth thing I want to say is that take the take God at His word, and when we do that, we're we we are going to another level. Our faith is beginning to grow. There's a story that I heard this week about a type rope walker in the 1800s. He was from France, and his name was Charles Blondin. And how many have heard of that guy? Okay, how many have watched somebody do type rope walking? Okay, um, I watched a video the other day of a guy who uh, in the 70s crossed between the two Twin Towers on a tightrope and he snuck up there, he was spying it out and he's walking across it and just these, these people just have no fear of death. Charles Blondin was a guy who, um, when you say his name in some circles, it's equivalent, it's a, it's, it, it, it's equivalent to type, type rope walker. And it's a big name in those circles. And so um, he's known for crossing the Niagara Falls, and it's 1,100 feet in the air. Um, And in his life, I checked this out, his life doesn't end with him falling off a a rope. Um, He actually marries three times, and he has eight kids. And the one time he does fall off the rope is when the rope broke. Two of his workers were killed, but he survives. He's uninjured, right? And so he's doing, he's like, he's crossing over, he's doing these stunts, and it, um, one time he crossed over with, you know, um, with a wheelbarrow, another time he's walking over with, uh, he has, he's got like a little uh, portable stove and some eggs, and he, and he gets out to the middle of the wire, and he makes scrambled eggs, and he eats it. Um, next time he goes out with a chair, and it's, you know, and he, and he balances the chair, not just on two legs, but one leg on the type rope and he stands on the chair now you hear these stories you wonder like is that is that true <laughs> there's no way to fact check it but he's standing on the chair another time he takes his manager and he's carrying his manager on his back across the type rope. one day he he does all of that and he comes to the crowd and he says to the crowd do you believe that i could take a person in his wheelbarrow across the type rope and Everybody's like, yeah, you can do it, go for it. We know, we, we've seen you do it, go for it. And, and he goes, well, which one of you would like to jump in the barrel? I'll take you across." That's what we're talking about right there. Jesus, we know that Jesus can do this. We've read the accounts and now it's the balls in our court. We can just say, you know what? I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> saying yes to jesus and this could be crazy this could be this could be exciting but you know what there we've been made there's something that's inside of every human being here no matter what our age is and we hunger the life of faith we hunger the adventure of walking by faith we hunger that doing something so crazy and insane and so impossible why because there's a part of us that's eternal in Ecclesiastes 3:11 and Ephesians 3:11, two twin verses tell us that there's an eternal part of us that really craves and hungers eternal purpose. And when we don't live in this radical life of faith with Jesus Christ jumping in the wheelbarrow, then there's a part of us that dies. That's why we have young people today doing the craziest things, like getting jumping off a bridge with just a string tied to their ankle. We, why do we do that? Because we, are, we hunger for the life of faith, that radical life of faith. And so this, the, the invitation of Christ here to the nobleman is the same to us, where we are being called out of nominal Christianity into a radical life of faith, where we get to meet Jesus Christ. Jesus is pushing the nobleman beyond rational belief. And as he walks home, he's thinking, and the nobleman, his servant, comes up running out and meets him and says, your son lives. Your son lives. What's the conclusion here? Verse 52. Um, verse 52. And when he inquired of them the hour that he had gotten better, because he's thinking. He's like, oh, when did that happen? He's already got it in his mind. They said, yesterday at, at one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. And verse 53, the father knew what it was that the same hour that Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. What is the goal here of Jesus. That his son would live, yes, but there's something more. That he himself would believe in his entire household. There are things that you and I suffer that your family needs to see. Your family members need to see how, you, how things are. Your kids need to see when things are tough and you don't know what you're going to do. And they need to hear it. dad say to mom, we're going to pray and the Lord's going to bring us through. Do you know why? Because that builds faith in your kids. It builds faith in your spouse. Maybe you have a spouse that's not a believing spouse. When we exercise faith like that, then we're manifesting life to an unsaved spouse. I I just want to say two things before I close. Living faith grows pure and strong in the furnace when it seems Jesus isn't answering our prayers and just the opposite is happening. When you're praying for things and just the opposite is happening, it seems like a furnace. But that's when your faith is growing much more precious than gold. And number two, living faith saves by its object. And I want to camp out here before I close. Living, give, life-giving faith, faith that, that, that moves mountains is a faith that saves by its object and not by its quality or quantity. So what do we mean by that? And I'm going to ask Micah to bring up this, um, this chair. Um, what does that mean? Um, there, there are two types, there's two types of of, of faith that I want to illustrate, and one of them is um, the wrong type. Well, actually, really, both of them uh, are, are are wrong. Thank you, Micah. So maybe you've seen this illustration before, but I want to just take it to another level if I can, and I don't want to hit these flowers, which I just did. Um, when we look at a chair, there's two ways we can approach a chair if we want to sit down. Number one, I don't know anything about the chair, right? And I could be, it could be like, maybe not a great looking chair. This looks sturdy. But I could look at a chair and just really hype myself up in optimistic faith, saying, you know what? I'm going to sit in this chair and it's going to hold me. I believe it's going to happen and I'm psyched up and I'm going to do it. And then you sit down and the chair just crumbles underneath you. All right? And that's not great. Has that ever happened to you? Usually it happens in a formal event when you're really dressed nicely in front of people that you want to have you be respected and and then you're just, you're flat flat on your behind. And then the second thing is just, this is like, you know, it's very obvious this is a very incredibly strong chair, but I don't have the courage to sit down in it. I'm asking all these questions. I'm paranoid. Like I'm thinking, I'm maybe living in past experiences of bad chairs, and I'm looking at this chair, and other people have sat there. I've seen people sit in it. And I look at it, and I have weak and wavering faith in the chair. And so I don't sit because I don't want to fall. I don't sit, and I don't rest because I don't want to fall down. Let me ask you a question. How much faith do we need to sit down in a chair? Oh, that feels good. How much faith do we need to sit down in a chair? Anybody? not a trick question (laughs) just enough to sit right just enough to sit down that's all the faith that we need the point here is and if there's only one thing that you remember from this message take this home with with you we can have all these doubts and unbelief but if our faith like the nobleman who was kind of on the edge of getting offended and upset at the treatment he was getting in his time of need if we, can ha- if we have all these doubts and offenses and unbelief, if we take that to the person of Christ and connect it to him, that's enough. The issue is not how much faith you have. The issue is not how quality your faith is. My faith is pure. God, I've got such a great track record with you. No, none of that matters. If what you have and you take it to Christ and connect it with the person and the nature of Jesus Christ, it's enough for God to do it in your life. That's why we never need to judge ourselves and analyze our faith. And if there's something that God's not answering in your life, don't look at your faith. Don't look at your sin. Don't look at your failures. Look at Jesus Christ. And say what the man said. And these other people that said, the Syrophoenician woman said, even the dogs eat the crumbs off the table. Right? She was okay. And Jesus said, that's amazing. And there's another man in Mark chapter 9 where where he says he's a centurion, right? He's a Roman centurion. And and remember, Israel is dominated by and oppressed by the Roman government at that time. And so he's a guy that's not really liked and he comes to Jesus and he says, heal my son, heal my servant. And and, and Jesus says, I will. And then he says, and Jesus says, I'll go with you. And then, But the centurion knows, he says, you don't need to come, just speak the word. Just say it because you're a man of authority. And Jesus, I love his response. He says, he goes, um, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel, a Gentile more faith than all the Jews of Israel. That's a little offensive, right? <laughs> There's another portion of Scripture where um, where the man says, "I believe, but help my unbelief." And what happens there? Jesus says, "That's enough. That's enough." We take our little faith. We take our zero faith. We take our unbelief. Our minus faith. You know, I'm in a negative right now. My faith, maybe. And you take it to Jesus and Jesus says, because you're looking at me, the object, it's not your faith. And here's proof. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, the latter part of the verses that I not, I don't live this life in the flesh. Paul's talking about, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And it says, and I live this life. What we always, we never read this part by the faith of the son of God. It's not my faith. It's Jesus' faith. I'm putting my faith in the object. And I'm going to close with this. Make decisions in your life that are so radical to trust God that you don't understand it. And if we don't do that, God will put you in that place because He wants you and I to understand who Jesus is. And he's going to grab us and he's going to shake us. And sometimes we're going to be so offended. we we'll would be like, God, how can you do that to me? And Jesus will be like, I'm just trying to have you understand that the chair is strong enough and your faith is not the issue. Sit and rest. Enjoy faith rest. And draw near. Put yourself in a position to continually be connected with Christ. And as we do that, we, are, we, we receive a word from the Lord. You know, you could hear something in a church service. Or you could hear a story about somebody else. And if you take that and you put your trust and you put your belief on that and you go your way, there's going to be a miracle. Not because of you. And maybe that person doesn't even know that their testimony did something in your life. People are looking at your lives. Take steps of faith. Put your trust in Him. Walk forward. Because Jesus wants, and, and this is verse 48 again, Jesus wants us, to go beyond the things that we want and the things that we think we need and get connected with Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's sometimes people that, and I like this, I'm okay with this, but there are people that sometimes come to church and they're not even saved. They're not, maybe they don't even know Jesus Christ and they're just coming because their family comes. I want to tell you that you keep coming and your questions are going to get answered. You keep looking at the face of Christ and maybe we don't get all of our answers, but guess what we do? We get the answer. And that's the person and the nature and the words of Jesus Christ. And if you don't see God in your life right now, it's okay because he's there. He loves you. Look at the Logos. And when the man gets home, he sees his son healthy. And what does it say? He believes in his whole household. Why does he believe? Because he realizes Jesus didn't blow me off. He He was not what I thought he was. He actually loves me. He actually did it for me. He said a word and he's so powerful. And he did that because he loves me. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord.